The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. Today's episode is episode number 194. When a person is addicted to drugs and or alcohol, the myriad of choices of treatment can be overwhelming. Narconon Ojai is a residential treatment facility that addresses the physical, mental, and spiritual aspects of addiction with a proven, holistic, drug-free, evidence-based, step-by-step program designed to free those trapped by addiction. For more information, call 1-866-231-5924. Today, we have an interview with a gentleman named Stephen Donnelly. Not only is Stephen Donnelly a former addict, but after six years of arduous study, he was ordained a Roman Catholic priest and spent two decades as a spiritual leader and beloved priest. In his memoir, Saint and a Sinner, Stephen takes the reader behind the curtain of the mighty and mysterious Catholic Church as he recounts his relationship with God, the faithful, bishops, and the institution. Stephen was named Man of the Year in Religion. He was also named Grand Marshal and won the Peter Swicegood Award. He celebrated 18 years of sobriety and is active in Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step program, inspiring others to live a sober life. Without further ado, let's talk to Stephen Donnelly. Stephen Donnelly, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today and share your story with us. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. So I know, and I said this in your bio, that you, you know, you were a priest, and we'll definitely talk about that. But how did, since this is a podcast about addiction, when did your road to addiction start with drugs or alcohol? It's both. Uh, I started drinking when I was about 14 years old. And drank for a number of years. I played sports. So, of course, the drinking was um, at the end of a sporting event or or a game. And then I started smoking marijuana in high school. And it was when I was 21 years old in 1976. I went out to visit my cousin in California, my aunt, uncle, and cousins in California. And I was introduced to cocaine um, in 1976. Stephen, what, what sport did you play in uh, high school? Basketball, baseball, and football. Okay. Yeah. And so then when you went out to California to visit relatives and you were introduced to cocaine, how old were you then? 21. Okay. And I started using cocaine recreationally. I continued to drink, of course. And in the beginning, it was a small amount of cocaine, weekend warrior, I may go a couple of weeks without it, maybe even a month without it, but then I would use it. And of course, anything I bought was consumed that same day. Uh, There was no saving it and keeping some in reserve. And it just kept escalating, escalating. There was a uh, slower period of my uh, cocaine abuse in the 90s, uh, the early 90s, I entered the seminary and for six years I was studying to become a Catholic priest. 
And then it was probably monthly. Uh, I was just very engrossed in my studies. And then my real powerful cocaine addiction went from 1997 to 2000 because um, I, A, I had more money than I needed. And of course I would buy cocaine on a weekly basis. Then it got to be uh, every other day. And in probably 1998, I was using cocaine every day, depleted my bank account, went into credit cards, and I began to steal money to support my habit. Uh, and then in 2000, it was 24 seven. If I didn't have it, how I was gonna get the cocaine, uh, using it, the, the lies, the manipulation, and all the things that factored in. Okay. So you were using cocaine, but kind of had it under control when you went to seminary school. Yes. And what, what was your motivation to become a priest? What, what was it you wanted to do? I, I was in my mid thirties when I got the call from God. Some people had suggested it to me here in the diocese of Rockville center. There was a program entitled call by name where somebody put my name in uh, to for a possible candidate for religious life, priesthood, a brother or a sister, uh, depending on the agenda. And um, then I went through the application process, the interviews, psychological review, academics. And um, when I entered the seminary in September of 1991, I really believe this is, this is what I want. I had been in retail management previously, but this was God calling me, and I believed in my heart of hearts that I could be a very good priest. Um, and I believe I was it, during my ministry, uh, of course, more so after I stopped using cocaine than while I was using cocaine. Yeah. Right. So when you when you entered the priest, uh, when is it ordained? As a priest, is that the right word? Yes, I was ordained okay. a priest in uh, June, on June 14th, 1997. 1997. So the following year was when you said that your cocaine use really escalated. And I understand that you had more money. But what was going on that would make you want to escalate your drug use? Did something happen? I was living a didactic life. I was involved in a relationship and wasn't keeping my uh, my vows, uh, uh, struggling with my vows uh, of, of celibacy. Okay, okay. You know, I want to just I want to just tell you that your intention to help people, I think, is a very good thing, and I I can imagine that you did help a lot of people and continue to do that. So. Well done on going down that road, and I can understand how some of the vows that you are required to keep might be a challenge. Yeah, they were a challenge to, uh, to me, and I think because I broke that vow, it was the guilt and the shame, and the more guilt and shame that I had, the more that I would resort to numbing my feelings putting it to the side, sweeping it away, all the common cures that uh, most addicts, I'm only speaking in the first person today, but that many uh, I had uh, an escape from those feelings of guilt and shame. 
Yes, and I, I think that guilt is big pretty much across the boards with with someone who's been addicted because typically, just aside from the drugs, there are various aspects of a person's moral code that I think oftentimes get violated when someone is addicted to drugs. And so I think I, think I can see how guilt would definitely play into that. So how did it end? I mean, your, your It priest, ended is what happened is the last, you know, it always seems when I listen to other addicts and alcoholics share their story, it always seems it comes to a rock bottom uh, and they, they hit the point of no return. They hit the dead end. They hit the, the they uh, go off the tracks, uh, they go, you know, disconnect from the third rail. And what happened with me is um, in October of 2000, uh, the New York Mets, my favorite baseball team, were playing the New York Yankees, their arch rivals, so to speak, here in New York. There is, uh, you're either a New York Yankee fan or a New York Met fan, or you don't like baseball. And what <laughs> happened is I was in the school cafeteria, the parish that I was in had a school, 700 students, and I was in the cafeteria the, the, the day that the World Series was beginning. I had a New York Mets jacket on and some of the, the students rallied around me and I got 400 children who were having um, lunch in the cafeteria. And basically it was a shouting contest, 200 yelling New York Mets, 200 yelling New York, you know, they were yelling Mets and Yankees. And the principal's sister Lorraine came downstairs. Uh, she heard the noise resonating throughout the school. And she says, what's going on down here? And she saw who the mastermind was. Uh, and there were other aspects going on. And what happened is in November, late November, um, I received a letter that there was going to be a meeting on November 29th. And I had no idea what the meeting was about. And lo and behold, when I entered this meeting at 11 a.m., it was an intervention. And, you know, the, the, the secret was out. Uh, I could not hide it anymore. And... I know that many companies have EAP programs, employment assistant programs, where they have a, a person who helps the individual get into a rehab. And, and the, the priesthood has one as well, uh, more so with alcoholism than drug addiction. But lo and behold, I was uh, told that I had a serious problem with cocaine. What had happened was a couple of weeks earlier, we had a housekeeper in the rectory. The rectory is the building where the priests reside. And uh, as a dirty addict, uh, or not the neatest addict, I should say, I'd left a straw in my top of my trash basket and the housekeeper found the straw. She had a daughter who was a cocaine addict. She knew what, had a good idea what it was. She turned it into the pastor, the leader of the church, he had it tested at the local police station, and of course, it came up as cocaine. And because of my erratic behavior those last uh, last couple of years, technically, but it's more so those last few months of uh, 2020, uh, 2000, beg your pardon, he um, called up the, uh, the EAP representative, the priest, and they arranged for the intervention, and I was sent away to a rehab. Let me ask you a question, Stephen. When when you had this intervention, did you think that you had a problem? Did you feel like you? Did I started and you to, to believe I had a problem. Um, 
because I was just using cocaine uh, on a regular basis. I was stealing money to get cocaine. I had been late for a couple of appointments. I may have missed a couple of appointments. And although I didn't realize at that time, it is my physical appearance was definitely um, lessening. I was down to two, I'm six foot four, and I was down to 210 pounds, and, and my face was drawn out. And looking at pictures, as somebody showed me a picture a couple of years, about a year later, I realized how bad I was. But I knew that I certainly had a problem, and I had tried to give it up a number of times, a few times, and it would last for two or three days. I was uh, physically addicted, emotionally addicted, spiritually addicted, and with all those addictions, also, also bankrupt in all those areas. Right. Who were you stealing money from, Stephen? I was stealing money from the church, uh, which okay. I've made restitution for, but um, and I really regret that. Uh, I was filled with remorse doing it. Every time it was like I had the devil on my left shoulder and an angel on my right shoulder, and I just would blow the angel off rather than blowing the devil off. Uh, and um, very, very hurt by that. But I, I've overcome that through time. But that was part of the guilt, and that was part of the shame as well. Yes. Right. Right. I think that um, when you have that angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, um, the drugs are kind of making you go in the direction of the devil. I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that you don't have whatever responsibility you have, and you've obviously made restitution, which is very good. But, you know, drugs will make you do things you wouldn't ordinarily do. That's what I was talking about when I said sometimes you violate your moral code. Okay, so you, you went to rehab. You had the intervention and you went to rehab. How long were you in rehab? I was there for four and a half months. Uh, I thought I was going to be there for 28 days. I get up there. It was uh, a scary experience for me. I guess I could be considered a bit naive. And I get up to rehab not knowing what it was going to be like. I had heard about Betty Ford clinics. I went to a wonderful facility, uh, Veritas Villa, upstate New York. And I got there not knowing if it was going to be like Oz uh, the Wizard of Oz, where I was going to see the Grand Wizard of Recovery, and uh, he was going to wave a wand over my head, and I'd be cured. Or if it was Oz, the HBO uh, television program that was on in the late 90s, with uh, guys, you know, going to the gym all day and working out in prison, tattoos up and down their arm. And after I did the biosocial with the intake uh, counselor, I was showed to my room and my first roommate was a gentleman by the name of Frankie Teardrops who had those 18 inch biceps, who had the tattoos up and down his arms. And I said, I guess I'm not, I'm not with Dorothy going to the, the you know, see the Grand Wizard. And there ain't, there, you definitely were not in Kansas and there wasn't any yellow brick road. No, there was not, <laughs> not at all, not at all. And I think I might've flicked my heels and said, there's no place like home. But that was home. So, and I did not embrace the program uh, the whole time that I was there. I had no problem saying that I was an addict. My name is Steven, I'm an addict because I knew I was an addict, but I still was in denial about my alcoholism. While I was there, I did not tell the counselors uh, this. 
that I told roommates and different men who you'd take a walk with or whatever that I knew I had a reservation and it was a solid reservation that I would drink when I got home. And because of that reservation, I did drink being there for 135 days. When I left there, I, I drank that first day. I came home on a Wednesday and that Wednesday afternoon, I was already at the scotch bottle. And what happened from there is I was moving from one rectory to another. In the last day that I was still active, I had bought a large amount of cocaine, snorted some right before getting in the van for this three hour uh, car ride. And I had hid the rest of it at the top of a closet. And when I, a week after I came home, I had to clean out that room and I found that cocaine and rather than throwing it down the toilet, flushing it down the toilet or calling somebody, I, I used that cocaine and then I came up dirty on my first outpatient, uh, intensive outpatient uh, visit. So uh, and okay. you know, my last cocaine use would be in April of 2001. Okay. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727 314 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narconon Ojai, visit their website at narcononojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org. Or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. So, okay, so you went to rehab, reverted alcohol and drugs, how, how did you finally get sober? Because I know you've been clean and sober for 18 years. So yes, how did right. you finally get there? I, uh, after that, uh, coming up dirty on the urine test and I continued to drink and I had got, had to go back to rehab uh, for 30 days this time in, in June of 2001. And I never had embraced my first time around. I'd never embraced the program. I wasn't doing the 90 and 90 sponsor, home group, commitment, support group, the things that are suggested. And after a while, I began to drink. My bottom, my absolute bottom came on September 10th, 
2002, I had been invited to go back up to this facility to do a memorial service for the one year anniversary of the horrific events of 9-11, uh, 2001. That afternoon before heading upstate, I stopped at a liquor store, picked up a bottle of Chardonnay because wine doesn't smell unbeknownst to me. I found out uh, soon afterwards that it does. And it was that evening, I got up to the rehab, I checked in, tried to, you know, talk as little as possible, went to my room and uh, 15 minutes later, two gentlemen, two counselors from the facility came to the room and they gave me a breathalyzer and I had blown a 15. And it was that moment that I raised my hands up and I said, I surrender. I put the white flag in the air and I said, I cannot do this anymore. I had never said that. I, I believe that, you know, even with the cocaine, it, I just knew how much wreckage it did in my life. And I didn't think that the alcohol had done that wreckage. But in hindsight, it certainly did just as much as the cocaine abuse. And, and that, was, that was my moment. That was my moment that night. And I, I, I cannot say that I got down on my knees and said, I will never do this again. But I knew at that time I needed, uh, I needed to take this seriously and I needed to follow the suggestions that have been laid out for me. And I've done that. Um, Stephen, what were some of the, sorry to interrupt, what were some of the things that you did differently after having that realization with your rehab? What were some of the things you changed? I started to attend 12-step meetings on a regular basis. I started to speak to people about it. I started to get honest. I, I could not be honest. During the throes of my addiction, I, I, I'd lie about the day of the week. I could lie about watching a baseball game that I did not. I'd lie about anything. So it was the honesty, to get honest, to speak to other people about my struggles. For, for many years, people would say, how are you? I'd say, I'm great. I'm fine. And I wasn't. I had so much stuff inside of me because of my childhood, coming from a dysfunctional family, a divorce, and different things that had happened. And when I was able to address them, when I was able to speak to another human being about those things, and then to get into, on a serious level, the 12 steps of, uh, uh, of any type of treatment program, to admit that I was powerless, to come to believe. Now, for somebody who worked as a Catholic priest, God was not an issue. I didn't have to come to believe. I had come to believe when I was three years old. But to turn my life, the third step of any 12-step program, to turn my life and my will over the care of God, because I wanted to run the show. I was the pilot. I drove the car. I was in charge. I wasn't in charge of anybody at all. And I realized that. And, and to work with another human being on those 12 steps, to take a searching and fearless moral inventory and to see my faults and then try to work on them, character defects, shortcomings, who did I need to make amends to? And then after going through those first nine steps, then the, 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 the steps that we need each and every day, the 10th and 11th and 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, when I'm wrong, promptly admit it. To 
did strengthen, to strengthen my relationship with God through prayer and meditation. And I'd like to say as a result of having worked these steps to bring this into every area of my life. And, and that's why I am today, bringing it into every area of my life um, one day at a time. Well, and very well done for 18 years. I mean, very well done. It's, it, that's a huge accomplishment. And um, you've obviously put in the work. You know, I've heard from many different former addicts that it's work. You have to you have to work at it to stay clean and sober. So you were still a priest at the time. Yes, I what, was. I I was a to... priest. They took me back. Uh, we talk about forgiveness. They forgave me, and I I stayed as a priest for a couple of years, and then I took a leave of absence. I I had a, a county job. I worked for the government. And in 2010, I came, uh, I, I requested, I spoke to the bishop, and I requested a return uh, to priesthood. And after some deliberation, I started that process about 18 months earlier. And after some deliber deliberation, the bishop uh, invited me to come back to ministry after a little bit of a leave of absence. And that's when I think I, I really shined as A, a human being, be a priest and see a person recovery and we could reverse and invert those abcs any way we'd like but um from 2010 to 2017 i was at a parish in huntington new york and i got i was very involved in 12-step work in 2012 we had a i had gone i had probably gone 10 or 11 celebrated i don't and that's the word we would use, but I presided at 10 or 11 overdoses, and I wanted to do more than just have a, a funeral mass and bury another victim of this horrific uh, disease and plague that we have with opioid addiction. And we had a night uh, called Fallen on Long Island, where uh, we had different representatives of 12-step uh, programs. We had the parents of victims of overdoses, people from different forums, and we had 700 people come to the church that Friday evening. We ended with a candlelight, uh, candlelight vigil around uh, the community to get the awareness out. And that's a big part of what I do today is, is the awareness of where this addiction can lead to, jails, institutions, or death. Understood. Yeah, I mean, that's really, you got two choices when you're an addict. You're either going to get clean and sober, or you're going to jail, or you're going to die, or a combination thereof. Are you are you still a, an, an actual priest, Stephen? No, what ha I, I'm uh, suspended right now. What happened in 2018 is a woman had allegations against me of a boundary violation. Uh, she had written a letter to the diocese and made these claims and I was uh, sent away to a uh, psychological facility for clergy, for the priest religions in Pennsylvania, and uh, was there for two months under psychological uh, counseling review. And um, I still remember the day, July 26th, when I was called into the chancery, called in to speak to the bishop. And it was the lowest in all my years of recovery, it was the lowest I felt about how you know my 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 legs had been cut out from underneath me on frivolous claims and leaving that 
the chancery office that afternoon, the thought of a drink or a drug was not there. Uh, I would think that my sobriety, my recovery is very strong. And when I returned to the rectory, a gentleman who I helped get sober, and he just celebrated three years, he was the, the, uh, the chef in it. And he came out, I was outside stewing around, and he came outside and he said to me, Stephen, I'd like to ask you two questions. And I said, okay. He says, do you have a life-threatening illness? And I said, no. He says, are you in trouble with the police? I said, no. So he says, so what the F is wrong? And, <laughs> and it was a simple statement. He had gone through something when he was on the police force. And I thought about it. it is, as long as I maintain my sobriety, all will be well. And, and through this time, I um, maintain my sobriety with the grace of God and the help of 12-step people. And, and I, I think that's phenomenal. And I, I, you know, I validated you for your 18 years clean and sober. But to go through an experience like that and not turn back to drugs and alcohol, I mean, that's huge, Stephen. I mean, I mean, that's huge. I mean, talk about testing your resolve to be sober. I, I, I can't. Yeah, I can't think of anything, anything worse, really. No, um, it, it was it was a bottom of recovery. But I realized that a drink or a drug would do nothing to advance me. And it would lead me down that spiral staircase to hell. And I, I don't want to go back there. I live this program one day at a time. And as long as I didn't pick up that day, I was okay in every day since. Uh, I think, I but think there's that's a blessing. Huge. A blessing yeah. came out of that. Okay. Uh, be, because after I was home, I can return to Long Island. And a dear friend of mine, many friends called me up to, in support. Uh, but a dear friend of mine who I had uh, met in 2010, 2011, uh, Diane O'Brien, called me. And her first question was, how are you? And I said, thank you. I said, I'm fine. And, and she says, well, thank God for that. And she says, there's rumors floating around about different things. And but I, 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 you know, happy that you're OK. And she said to me, I have a question for you. And Diane asked me, um, she said, you are the most compelling person that I've ever met. Diane knew a lot of my story. I unfortunately, in 2011, she lost her stepdaughter in a tragic accident, and I was able to help the family through that time. And uh, the, the years afterwards, uh, her husband and uh, Diane would come to the uh, masses that I was celebrating when I was transferred. They came to the other church, and we would have dinner. And she says, I'd love to write a book about you. And mm -hmm. I, I looked at her. Well, I think it was via an email, but like, who, me? And uh, so we began to write a book. Uh, and we, we spent many hours in um, interviews talking about my story uh, from childhood through business, through priesthood, to the point where I was. And uh, it's a wonderful book. Diane has done a wonderful job with it. And it's a story of addiction. It's a story of falling down. It's a story of getting back up. The trials and tribulations 
Um, I do know people who've done this one time, went to rehab and have remained clean and sober for years. Um, I can't say that I did. I, I had to go back to the rodeo a couple of times, but it's a story of where I was, where I am, and where I hope to be. And it's a story that for any person in addiction, whatever the addiction may be, it is hope. Hope is such an important word. And I've received the promises, the, the blessings of recovery, and I wanted to share those with others. Yes. I, I can't thank you enough for doing that because that's the whole point of this podcast is we know that there are people out there suffering, whether they are addicted or whether they have a loved one who's addicted. And I think that so often you get to that point where you think there's no hope. What do I do? And there, there is hope. And whether it's hope listening to your story or hope reading your book, you know, it's there. If I can backtrack just for a second. So how long have you not been a priest now? Uh, two and a half years okay. from uh, July of uh, 2018. So just under okay. two and a half years. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And then how do people get your book? We, uh, at the time being, and thank you, the book, as you can see in the background, A Saint and a Sinner, uh, the uh, a story of the rise and fall of a beloved priest. Uh, at the current time, we have it on Amazon. Uh, we're selling books through Amazon. It's on Kindle. We're waiting for the audio book to come out in one of the local bookstores here in, uh, on Long Island uh, Book Review in Huntington has a copy of the book. Um, I'd have to say I need to be humble, but I'd have to say that many people who've read the book have said to me how courageous I was. For, for those of us in recovery, we know what the fifth step is. The fifth step is after having written down all our faults and you know the characters, defects and things that we share them with another human being. Well, I've done a fifth step in this book to the world. Uh, and people uh, are commending me for my honesty about how I was able to share everything that I've done. I, uh, there's no, no secrets left. Uh, and it was and, a cleansing. And, you know, it's, it, that's huge, Stephen, because, you know, obviously the people that we talk to on the podcast are people such as yourself who are willing to share their story and, and know that t sharing their story is going to help other people. But there are still a lot of people out there who don't want to share their story. It's a part of their lives they don't want to admit to and they don't want to talk about. And I respect that. But I respect someone like you a bit more who is willing to share what is probably not the happiest time of your life so that other people can learn from it. And I think that's huge. Do you also go and talk to groups? Are you available for public speaking? Because I would think, especially like, let's say a Catholic high school. I mean, we know addiction knows no religious boundaries. Right. You know, I know that the rehab that we are affiliated with, they have had people from the Amish community that need drug rehab. So I would think if I were somebody running a Catholic high school, I'd want you to come and speak to my kids. Well, thank you, you very much. And I, I am open for public speaking. I, I do I do attend AA meeting a few days a week. I've spoken at many different meetings. Unfortunately, with COVID here in the no. New York area, it's, it's very difficult. But during, uh, I did speak uh, 
this past January here in Huntington, one of the uh, local churches had a, an awareness evening and they asked me to speak about hope. And hopefully one day, we don't know when, when we have some sort of control over COVID, I, I would be honored to speak uh, and let people know where this disease could take us. Yes. And I would just like to point out that you could always do it on Zoom. It's not as good as having you live in front of people, but a lot of people are holding events on Zoom, virtual events, right? and just something for you to keep in your back pocket. Um, and you have a website. I believe it's a saint, saint and a sinner. And a sinner. Is it a saint or just saint? I'm sorry. Is it a saint, a saint or just saint? And a sinner. A saint and a sinner.com. Okay. And so that's how listeners, if you think that having someone like Stephen Donnelly speak to your church or your group or your school would be valuable, reach out to him because I, I think his story is like none other than we've told. And we've had other clergy on the podcast, but not, not with a story like yours. Well, thank you so much. And, I, I firmly believe that when we seriously commit to recovery, we it, it's available for anybody. I know that people say, oh, I'm a miracle. And yes, I do know that I'm a miracle because of where I was. But between the book and between my speaking, the word gets out there. And recovery is for anybody. It, 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 it it crosses every plane, every boundary. And as a Catholic priest, people may say, oh, my God, he, he was using cocaine. He was drinking. Yes, I was. Because the first thing I am is human. Yeah, that's right. That's a good message. I like that, that recovery is available for everyone. And and I also think that, um, you know, you being willing to tell your story is even more monumental than, I don't know, this is going to come across wrong, and I'm sorry, than the average Joe who is an addict because you were a Catholic priest, and so you maybe fell a little bit farther than somebody else, but look at where you are today. Look at how far you've come back, and I just think your story is such that it's going to resonate with people, and I, I cannot thank you enough for being willing to share it with our listeners. Thank you very much for having me today. And if I can just conclude that um, I was at the bottom, I'm working my way back up the, the hill. It may be a mountain at times, but my life is so good right now. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yes, I, I miss celebrating mass and the different things that a priest does. But right now, my, my whole life is in this world of wonderful, wonderful world of recovery. Awesome. Thank you. Stephen Donnelly, what are we going to talk about next week in your interview? We're going to talk about the road, the, the dark road that I was on and how I made my way through that dark road, through a lot of work. And I've uh, come to the other side of the rainbow. And I, I, I found that uh, bucket of gold and I just wanted embrace each one of those gold nuggets piece by piece and continue to live my life one day at a time clean and sober awesome it's christmas eve as you listen to this podcast 
we thought that it was very appropriate to have a former Catholic priest on the podcast. I think that his message is one of hope like none other. And no matter what religion you are, no matter what you celebrate this time of the year, there needs to be a message of hope. And if you are addicted, please reach out. Don't wait. Reach out and get help. If you have a loved one that's addicted, please reach out and get help. We've got resources. We can give you resources. But don't wait. And we hope that this is a wonderful time of year for you. And we'll be back again next year, right before the new year. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. For more information on Narconon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcononojai.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.